Black Podcast episode 23. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And we are face to face again, twice in two weeks. Yeah. We're at PHP Northwest in Manchester. How's it been so far, Bo? Uh, it's been awesome. We've been in the UK since September 15th now, so it's been, yeah, well, half a month in the UK. We're, we're, we're liking it so far. Beck's actually right here, so is Luke, so we're keeping him up late tonight so he can be here for this, so. Yeah, yeah, the UK is pretty awesome so far. Yeah, I've seen all the photos on Facebook. Uh, Beck's been putting up plenty of, I mean, moving around the Cotswolds. It's beautiful down there. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And we also have a bunch of people sitting around us, and I feel a little <laughs> awkward because I didn't really anticipate feeling awkward talking to you like they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, I, to be honest, I was actually thinking about picking up a... Uh, is it, an om- is it omnidirectional yeah. microphone that yeah. you could kind of like put in for the middle of a table and everybody be able to talk? Because these are bidirectional, so they only really pick up what's directly in yeah. front of them. So yeah, but so yeah, if anyone has anything they want to jump in, raise your hand and we'll have to hand yeah, you the mic. Mic, mic cables are quite long, so if anyone does want to talk, you know, you can yeah. do. So just just so uh, mention names. Yeah, got Mark, Michael, Kieran, James, James, Dave, and of course Beck and Luke yep. here as well. So yeah, cool. So how's the conference been so far? You've, you've been to these before, right? Yeah, I enjoy coming to these conferences. I feel like when I come to this conference, I see, always seem to see a lot of familiar faces, and it's kind of nice. And um, just to contrast, I, I feel a little bit like the the Symphony one. Even though it's London, it's not that far away. It's just a little dis- more disconnected from me. I don't know why. Um, it just seems a bit different. Hmm. But, uh, I wonder if that's just Symphony. Yeah, well, I think it's a symphony thing. It's a London thing as well. It's a more expensive conference. Uh, I think you get more... I, I, I don't know, but I'd hazard a guess that you get a lot more companies sending their dev teams to the symphony conference. And you, you probably get a lot of people doing that here as well, but you also get a lot more people just stringing along as individuals and mm-hmm. freelancers and contractors and stuff. So, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a, it has a completely different feel, but you know, Symphony Live was pretty awesome as well. Yeah. So, it, it, it does feel different. Cool. Yeah, uh, so I actually have a bunch of topics that I've been queuing up for two months now. I think we were laughing last time because we didn't even remember what number we were. <laughs> yeah, it was true. Yeah, it so. had been a little while. So I'll just go through a couple of these. Uh, did, you, did you see Discuss, the project that came out? Did, did, did it's, a, it's a discussion-based tool or discussion notifications using Gist. Oh no! Sorry, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't even hear what you said the first time. So I thought you said discuss like the comment thing on blogs that came yeah. out five six years ago. Yeah, like, it's it's the it's the gist version. Gist of that. version of that, right? Okay, no, I hadn't seen it. So. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it's pretty cool. It's um, you know, I, I have the notes with the the URL, but I don't remember who it was. I want to say it was Matt again. Matt okay. Stauffer again. Yeah. And I, I bet it's it was because it goes with his gist blog. Yeah, yeah. Thing. And um, there's also the 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 abstract project. I can't remember which one that was. Uh, Help me abstract. Which, oh, yeah. which was kind of like one of those uh, let's just get a launch sort of like ship it sort of things that yes. was backed by Git, GitHub Gist, but there was no way to actually see when people commented on your abstracts. Yep. So I think that she'll be able to use this now. I think it was Kayla Daniels put that one together. So. Right. Yep. So I, I knew that she was looking for something like this, and um, now now there's something there. So there's probably going to be other possibilities now for people building tools around Gist that can take advantage of comments and notifications when people comment on the things you post. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like a cool project. And you just know GitHub's going to drop notifications in in the next couple of weeks, probably yep. after someone's gone <laughs> to the effort of doing that. Mm-hmm. But cool, all the same. Yeah, it's been it's been a long-standing problem. I know a lot of people do a lot of work with just and like 
have back and forth conversations and I've never been able to get into that because it just doesn't work very well. I wonder why. I wonder why they don't. Is that have they ever said anything about it? Have you ever seen one go away? Like an old gist that just isn't there anymore? I've actually had that happen. Okay, I don't know. They're, 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 they're somewhat ephemeral anyway. Right, okay. so, um, and I don't know exactly what accounts for that, but I've seen old gists actually yeah. get like corrupted or something and they're just not there. So I don't. I think it's one of those things that GitHub didn't really plan for it to be like infrastructure for anybody. Yeah. Um, but now people are building projects around it. So I don't know. Maybe they will beef it up a little bit. Mm, maybe. Yeah. I doubt it though. It's not yeah. money maker, is it? No. <laughs> uh, they they own Speaker Deck too, right? Yeah, I don't know why. I don't yeah, uh, I know that the one of the founders of GitHub is really into speaking. I think he has Speaking.io. Um, yes. Is that, does anyone know? Is that Hol- Holman? Zach Holman. Oh, no, he's not a founder, though, is he? He, he just, no. or he's, he's like a big GitHub person, right? Yeah. I think he, he might have moved on now. Oh. Um, he might yeah. still be there. I th- Michael says he's still there, so. <laughs> yeah, let's just, let's just trust Michael. Michael yeah. thinks he's still there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I know that, he, that like, they've, they put a lot of effort into making that whole speaking site of, you know, trying to help speakers. So maybe it's just a pet project that they had or something yeah. that they wanted to do. But I've, I've wished that they had an API because I want to be able to better integrate my blog into the Speaker Deck stuff, but actually have to upload everything and then copy the embed in your website. It's, I don't know. I, I kind of think they probably don't have an API because they don't want to support that in everybody's edge cases, but... Yeah. yeah no, an API for Speaker Deck. Yeah, so there, there is an API for Gist, but it didn't have notifications. But similarly, Speaker Deck doesn't have an API at all. So, I don't know. And yeah. that's been around for a long time. Like, so I just don't ever want to support it. But anyway, so I, I don't have any other cool projects that, that I have that I actually thought worth talking about at this point. Have you seen anything lately? Uh, I can take a minute to think of some while you right. talk about something else. Yeah, maybe. so let's <laughs> talk about nullify in tests. Nullify in tests. Yes, I think this was actually your idea. And I find, I'm finding it very, very useful to just nullify... IDs, uh, because that's one of the biggest problems I have with testing uh, when you inject an ID versus an ID being generated by whatever you're you're doing. Oh, right, yep. So this was, you're doing a, a loose, co- you wanted to do a, a value comparison of two objects. Yep. But they always had unique IDs because they're in the constructor. Right. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not mocking these these objects. I'm actually creating them, and then I'm creating the, the expected object and to compare them, but then they have different IDs every time. Yep. And what did we do? Did we just you wrote a function that just yeah, nulls I, I, out the IDs of Yeah, I just I think you said, Well I would just nullify the IDs and I said, Oh, like this and I just pasted a little function that I'd written that I wasn't really confident that that was a good way to do it. And you're like, Oh yeah, totally. So I've done that quite a bit now and I'm finding it pretty pretty useful. Are you are you actually doing that anywhere? I think you did too, right? I d I think I I don't think I've done it to a point where I've become a usable bit of code. I think I've probably done it in one particular place mm-hmm. just because and then uh, moved on. But I don't I don't think I've done it. Like I, I definitely didn't create a function. I might have put just, it in line or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're we're building our own CQRS event sourcing stuff, and one of the things is building a test suite. So there's actually a with non-deterministic properties function now right, that we can yep. add in, so that whatever objects we have, we can just say, okay, well, with this object, the ID is you know don't worry about the id don't worry about the updated yeah, just, time just, yeah just yeah. check the values and yeah so I've, I've been kind of expanding on that idea but i still don't know if that's good i don't think it's bad it's no. not 
I, I, I mean, at the time, I think you were worrying about it too much. And mm -hmm. It's like one of I those things that. where <laughs> sometimes, maybe yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I just felt like it was, uh, you were overthinking a bit too much. Mm -hmm. And personally, I would have just done that and moved on and worried about it later. And if it becomes a problem, like if it becomes painful, then you start thinking about changing it. Or yeah. if it becomes, you know, painful in the sense where it, it hides, you know, gives you some false positives or something mm -hmm. like that. Or, yeah, false positives. And yeah. then, then I'd reconsider it, but... For now, yeah, just go for it. If you want, if that that's, if that is the, if you feel like that's the best way you can make an assertion, would be to compare an object that you you create an object in the test code to, that is, mm -hmm. looks like what you would expect to come out. Yeah. Minus the unique ID, yeah. then yeah, I think it's absolutely fine. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm really enjoying it, but I'm just wondering if there's something that I'm missing that it's going to bite me down the road. But yeah. No, I don't think so. No, I think you're all think cool. all good. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of other, so a lot of the other people who talk about mocking versus not mocking, and like the TDD discussions that go back and forth occasionally, where people talk about dependency injection being a bad thing, in some cases. And I found that I used to, like, when I was trying to solve this another way, I would find myself injecting ID, uh, ID generators yeah. all over the place, and it just that just started to feel so awful. Um, so I, I don't know how other people are handling this because I never really heard anybody talking about like nullifying objects or m going in and modifying them in a dirty way with reflection or something uh, to make the comparisons easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, you, even though you are doing that in a dirty way, you could hide that as an implementation detail of your test. You know, you mm -hmm. could have, you could quite quickly knock up, refactor out that assertion that's in your actual test method to say assert these two objects are equal mm -hmm. or look equal, whatever you want. Or this, not the same, but, you know, not identical, but whatever you want to call it. Right. And then that, that nullifying bit becomes an implementation detail of a, what is essentially a customer session. Yeah. And at that point, to me, it's less dirty. It's just like a, it's a hack in that one place mm -hmm. that it doesn't affect the readability of your, co of your test. Right. And it's just one different way. Basically, mm -hmm. you just use the language to cheat a little bit rather than... I mean, if you wanted to at a later date, you'd go into that method and you'd somehow get all the properties out one by one right. and compare them one by one. But you don't really want to mess about doing that no. if you can get away with it. The third equals is awesome. <laughs> it just goes all the way through. And I didn't want to, like, the only other way I could think of doing it was to find a way to do that manually. And I'm like, no, this, you is, don't want this is better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, I don't think it's a bad thing to be doing at all. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things I liked with Broadway was they actually shipped uh, testing Test, basically test tools for their, their things. So I'm trying to do that as well for our internal project. And I, I think you've actually mentioned that before, that people don't pay enough attention to basically their, their testing framework. Like the test they, support. Yeah, the test oh, support. Yeah. And the framework as well. Yeah, you know. yeah. so I've, I've been trying to focus on that a little bit, and I've, I've been liking it. Uh, but it does seem like it's a lot of extra work up front, but it seems to be paying off. So It's actually something I'm, I'm, I need to pick up blogging again because... Yeah. I started doing some blogging on that kind of thing in January and I've not done any more since, but there's been a few conversations I've had recently just on things like I was talking to uh, Adam Wathen about, you know, uh, when in testing a database transaction, I'm not overly keen because there's, there's two sides to it. Firstly, it means you've got to remain in process. So, I mean, and that even that you can get around a little bit. I know there's, there's hacks in Rails or in Ruby, so you can get all processes to use the same act same database connection mm -hmm. even if it's a completely different process mm -hmm. or at least a forked process or something like that um, but of course if you are using a transaction you do need to be using the same database connection throughout the code the, right. the, 
throughout the test run, which mm-hmm. can be awkward, especially for older systems or if you're running uh, headless, headless browsers or like your Selenium, you know, it's going to have to hit a, a web server, so it's definitely far away from your PHP unit test run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other downside to me is um, I like to... I don't tear down the database before an integration test. I set up the database before an integration test, mm. which means that the database gets left intact at the end of the test. So if the test fails, you've actually got at least something to sort of like, you can poke around in the database to see what mm-hmm. might have caused the failure and things like yeah. that. Whereas with a transaction, you, you don't it get disappears. That. You know, it's gone. I mean, mm. obviously you could change the code too, but you'd have to do it manually every time you wanted to do that. So mm. yeah. So then something like that, I'd like to sort of, blog about a little bit mm-hmm. um, and yeah speaking of speaking I was speaking to Adam about that um, I'm going to be on full stack radio um, again oh. I think we're I think you said we're recording on Wednesday so mm-hmm. myself Adam and Jeffrey way are going to be talking about integration tests but also like uh, don't mock what you don't own that kind of thing so mm. gonna be interesting cool well, that's exciting yeah yeah we, we actually have a guest speaker guest host or whatever queued up that <laughs> we uh, we keep stringing him along. Scruppy programmer. Chris. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. We're supposed <laughs> to be so- oh, God. I told him we didn't forget about it. <laughs> well, yeah. But we can sort that in post, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, he's aware of, like, the... Like the it's not schedule that we've had. Yeah. It's, you know, this is the second time we've recorded in like three months, and it's just because we're face to face. Face to face, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that will be coming up in a future future episode, which will be good. So we 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 haven't done a whole lot with like guests, so it'll be yeah. good to do and another one. Yeah, and to be fair, it was also supposed to be weren't we supposed to be doing like more on our secret project yep, for that? Yeah, we were, and we, and haven't, we haven't done, done that. anything no. on that at all. No. <laughs> completely, uh, <laughs> completely. Yeah, yeah, that's just gone, isn't it? Yeah, we'll we'll get there though. <laughs> one day, Eventually. yeah. In fact, I actually saw somebody mentioning the kind of thing we were doing and yeah. saying that they learnt the most from that kind of thing mm. just the other day. And I was like, <sighs> yeah, we'll get there. Uh, just things just need to settle down a little bit first, yeah. I guess. So um, you should do talks on testing support in frameworks. Well, it's quite interesting. The thing is, though, that some of the frameworks, as in like, so particularly, so Jeffrey Way, like, Developed his uh, developed a package for integration tests for Laravel, and then Taylor liked it so much that Taylor just said, "Right, let's mm-hmm. have that." So some of the frameworks like Symfony and Laravel do actually sort of like Symfony not so much on the the database side of things like Laravel, but definitely it's got the the client for browser kit and yeah. all that all that stuff. So it actually yeah. rolls quite a lot for you, and uh, some people take it for granted, and then. Because they do take it for granted, they don't necessarily know what options are available to them mm-hmm. and the different ways you can use it. Like, like I've been saying for a while. Um, so when Behat three came out, the one of the sort of big features was the the uh, ability to run the same suite but with a different context file. Mm-hmm. Now that was something I'd been doing with Behat too, but I'd just been doing it myself in code with messing about with tags and profiles. Mm-hmm. And it didn't actually take that much, much work, work to do it, yeah. and, but it basically meant I was actually writing a bit more code to support my tests that wasn't test code. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just, you know, t- I, I, what I actually had was, what I have now is, I have uh, in my test support folder code, I have a, a web client and I have an API client and they have several very similar methods to do the same thing but from the different parts of the application. So mm-hmm. I, beha- I beha- stepped 
goes to the feature file, and the feature file is literally proxy to whichever client is relevant for this feature. So whether I'm running the API client or the web client, it goes through that. It does add like a level of indirection, which I mm. don't like, but yeah, you know, I've got, got into the habit of doing that kind of thing, and I don't think a lot of people do. I've, I think I've said the same thing before. Like, I think we're well and truly into the whole decoupling from the framework in the PHP community, right. but people rarely decouple from the test framework. Mm -hmm. Now, whether you should do or shouldn't do depends on what you're doing, but yeah. I found it definitely beneficial. Yeah, I think it could be interesting for people to be able to see more of that and see people see how people are doing those sorts of support for supports for testing and whatnot. And you actually did that for that talk you did with Igor, right? Yeah, that was well part of it. So that, I mean, yeah. it's, it's been for a while, basically, since I've known you. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that simple, silly, uh, what was it called? Yola swag or something? Yeah, it was uh, douche swag. Yola swag. It's yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That application then had to, we could switch between hitting the right so web or hitting the domain code directly by right. using tags on the perhaps suite. That was kind of the point with the whole hexagonal thing, yeah, where you wanted to be able to test any part yeah. of the. Yeah. The, the application with the same code. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so since we're talking about Laravel, um, one, of the, one of the other things that we've talked about a little bit, I think mostly offline, is the idea of trying to do the monolithic repositories, like have all the applications in one repository. Um, you know, we've looked at some of the different tools for like composer handling, like Fiddler and a couple of those. Um, so I, I wanted to try that and see how it would actually work, uh, since I had a Greenfield project that I could work on that. So I, I put a Laravel project in, and then I thought, well, I want my API for the front end, and for the API, I wanted to have it be Lumen. And as it turns out, that's not supported. It's like not even not supported, it's doing some very questionable things. Classes, classes in the same namespace with the same name, but depending on if you're loading the Lumen framework or loading the, the Laravel Illuminate framework, they, they aren't compatible anymore. Um, and I guess that's expected, and they, they know this. <laughs> and I, for the life of me, can't understand why they did it. And I'm sure there are like technical reasons like that I don't understand yet why the interfaces had to be different, but it just seems like it should have been a different namespace, namespace. then or a different class name or something. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, I opened an issue on it, and they just like brought, get, got back to me, yep, this is known. They don't work together. <laughs> it's like, it, but the selling point that I thought that there was for Lumen was you could start with Lumen and move it to Laravel, but apparently not, not like, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't understand how how you can move from one to the other. I think yeah, they sell it. They probably sell it as a, it's got to be a drop-in yeah. replacement. I mean, but yeah, it, I remember. I can't remember which class it was, but it seemed awkward, didn't it? I was yeah. like, mm. well, was I don't like, know. It was like it one of the core, like one of the core framework, framework like, classes. Was, yeah, yeah. it's a framework class that was there that I didn't intentionally use. So just the fact that Lumen was fired up at all caused there to be this error. This error, yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and I don't know. It, it really surprised me that that was there. Mm. But Yeah. So did what how did, what did you do in the end? Did you um, ditch one? I mean, I said to ditch one or the other, didn't I? <laughs> I ditched both. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, yeah, of course you did, yeah. Yeah, I, I got uh, you halfway there. Yeah, so I, I spent I spent probably two weeks off and on looking at well, do I want to do one? Do I want to do the other? I started to feel like leaning toward PSR seven, and I thought, well, that's great. So I'll do. I was really leaning to Lumen with PSR seven, so it was like really light. And then I found that all of the work that had been been done for PSR seven had been done to Laravel, and those things weren't compatible with with Lumen. Like it wasn't automatically in Lumen because of it. Oh right. I so I was like, what's the I. 
I, I was just kind of really frustrated that I felt like I'd been sold something that didn't exist. And, you know, I, I've, I've talked up Laravel recently as being really awesome, and it really is for what, for what it is. But for this particular thing, I thought Lumen was supposed to be Laravel light, not yeah. Laravel incompatible. It was, I don't know, so it was a little surprising. But yeah, I, I found that I really liked Laravel's container. So I built a PSR7 framework around So you wrote Laravel's your container. own framework. Yeah. But but not like not like not like Bo. At yeah, all. not like me at all. So I spent two weeks hemming and hawing, and then I just said, "I'm just going to build my own." Yeah, yeah. You called me out on it. Everyone's <laughs> laughing. Apparently, everyone knows this. But it's going okay, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's actually gone up, gone pretty well. And what it's let me do is not worry about anything. <laughs> you know, I, I did. I, the real reason I was looking at Lumen was that it's going to be strictly an API. And almost everything is in the CQRS code base, all the uh, command bus, all of that. Like, is really going to be a light layer at the web stuff. So I didn't need anything really. Mm. Um, well, I mean, I would have said. I mean, to me, the selling point of Laravel Lumen would be the like the high coupling and integration with the Active Record yep. implementation. Mm. Uh, so if you went, were you going to use that for some of the basic persistence, or were you going to use event sourcing for everything? Um, we ended up going to event sourcing for everything. For everything. And that so, was yeah. the big thing that made me think I didn't need Laravel need anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't see the, the, the advantages there anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I just needed API. just needed to spit out JSON. That's all I needed to do. Um, and I knew that I could make a really simple PSR7 standard controller that does that. So I decided that would be the best, best path for us. Yeah. And pushed off all the other things and I actually got to use one of my my design decisions this week to add to my PSR7 talk with the like the origin like the um, the the core's origin header yep. stuff uh, I just wrote a middleware that just said origin allowed star <laughs> so that was just the middleware that I just added and it saved me from having to do anything else I didn't have to do more than that and it didn't stand in the way at all so cool yeah and uh, Laravel's container have we have we talked about that not in depth. No, it's I love it. It it hasn't hurt me yet, but it's a full on auto wiring container that you just say I want this class and I want to bind this interface to this class and it just so far it's been wonderful. Yeah. Um, I talked to uh, I talked to Paul M. Jones about Aura's container because I, I had another project that I was working on with Aura, and he said he took auto wiring out because it was nothing but trouble, and. It's it's unclear right now. Some people are were, were jumping in with that as well, and they aren't sure if it was the implementation. And even Paul said this; he wasn't sure if it was the implementation or or what. But it just didn't work in Aura. But it seems to work great for Laravel. Well, so my opinion is that, uh, or my, my thinking is that it can get a bit messy as you get bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, the way Laravel works, and you can you can start to so you get you get the auto wiring for free, right? Mm-hmm. But then if you say you have, when you use this particular class in this area of the system, you want to use a different logger or yeah. you can start to give it context and things like that to say, oh, if it's used here, use it yeah. with this. Yep. And if it's used here, use it with this. Mm-hmm. And I think once you start to do a little bit of that here and there, if you're going to be telling it half of what it should do, you may as well be telling it yeah, all, all of what of it. it should do. Um, I've got... There's a tweet I refer to from um, Nat Price. I know, was it a tweet? No, he said it in a talk. Or maybe it was Steve Freeman. He said something about the auto wiring containers. Uh, if you can't, 
with a if if with a container you can't see the wood for the trees. Mm-hmm. With an auto wiring container you can't see the trees at all or something <laughs> is what he said. Or it, yeah. He wasn't a fan of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I knocked up a gist at some point for pimple. I used it as a trait actually mm-hmm. to do a similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I had it in my cobays for a while, but didn't find I was actually using it because I'm so used to the service naming that I've got already. There was no way I was going to start asking yeah. it for classes out of the container. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never bothered. But I think to get you going and get rolling, I think, yeah, yeah. it's good. Uh, you know, a Taylor said to me once that uh, if he didn't have an auto-resolving container, he'd quit PHP. So uh, <laughs> he must like it quite a lot. Yeah, well, I, what is it? Active record is the reason why he even programs too so yeah i think so yeah, yeah. so he, i think he, he feels quite strongly those. about those things yeah. yeah um so yeah i don't uh i think the first auto wiring container that i saw was probably juice it was, it was like google's, google's yeah with juice. a g yeah with a g yep um and then there was a python one too that i can't remember what that how that one was spelled um and i didn't like them i didn't understand what the idea was um but those were a little different too because those were like i think that was like annotation wired or something like that it was yeah. it was like pseudo auto wiring uh, I think Springs Container did a little bit of auto-wiring as well, but I never really got into it. But just after so many years of working with, you know, massive pimple, like for every class I added, I had to wire oh, up yeah. everything. Uh, and Symphony, whether it's YAML or XML, every like I dreaded adding a new class because inevitably the class would end up with a factory or a repository or some service that went with it that also had dependencies. And next thing you know, you spend two hours wiring things up and... I don't. I haven't run into any of that now. Like for like months, I haven't yeah. had to do any of that, and it just works. So I'm well, pretty I, excited about it. I do it all the time. So um, I'll, I'll be writing up a feature, and I usually write my gherkin first, and then mm-hmm. I go down and I might write an integration test first. But usually, I'll write a unit test first for some domain code and a bit integration test, and then I'll run my feature test, just expecting it to work. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it, I, I must do it like once a week, and. I'm like, why isn't that working? All my unit <laughs> tests just ran fine. All my integration tests are running fine. Mm. And of course, oh yeah, because I don't actually put any of this stuff into the container in the right places where it yes. should be. So uh, it doesn't know where to get, you know. Exactly. So um, we've actually started working with, um, I, I've tried to put a lot of uh, testing, like test first sort of things into to money with the project that we're doing now. And we'll get like these massive amounts of uh, unit tests written like we'll have like really high code coverage and everything looks good. So we move on to the next feature and then we do that like over and over again. And then we want to make a command line component to actually test them out uh, or test something else out like later in the chain. And we're like, nothing's working. And it's because no one had gone through to <laughs> to add the one line to say, bind this interface to this yeah. class. And then ev- nothing works and we don't know why. So yeah, we, I, I'm guilty of that too. It's kind of one of those weird problems where it's like, I. I feel good with my tests, but clearly, <laughs> clearly, unit tests isn't isn't enough. We need to do more integration tests as yeah. well. So, yeah. So anyway, that w- that's my my Laravel Lumen Lumen segment. Yes, Laravel Lumen segment. The other really fun one um, was a tweet attributed to Kelly Summers. Uh, you spent all your time securing your infrastructure, but then someone can hack Slack and take down all your nodes. Seriously, boggles my mind. And um, I believe you have uh, opinions on this. I think you have automated a bunch of your, um, like, Jenkins tasks and things like that from Slack. Or Yeah, so yeah. I'm just trying to think of what damage someone could do if they hacked into Slack from yeah. those. 
So the worst they could probably do is put the banners up on our website, as in the 503 were busy yeah. doing something, mm-hmm. and keep putting them up every time I put them down. <laughs> uh, they could continuously deploy the same code over and over and over again, which might, yeah, which in, in theory could uh, start to run up some CPU. Mm. But then we'd just auto scale and another server would get put. So, yeah, they could run up our bill. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't think so. Can uh, they deploy old code or broken code? No. no. They, they could roll back. You can, okay, so they can roll But you can back. only roll back once. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I don't want this. No, so you can't just keep rolling back. You know? Right. So, yeah, they could. But that's it, I think. Hmm. I don't. Yeah, it spawned, a, it spawned a little bit of conversation on Twitter. I think Code Rabbi jumped in on that. And I think his point was, how much do you, like, you trust Slack uh, with with certain amount of tasks, but you also trust Amazon with a certain amount of security, and you're giving them a lot more control over your data because you're renting it from them. Uh, so I don't know. It was it was interesting to see people's opinions on that. Mm. Um, you know, I'm I'm fully intending to put as much integration into Slack as I can, and whether it's Slack or IRC or HipChat or whatever it is, you know, finding some way to put put bots to work. To make things easier for people, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing, but I just don't know if I'm totally glossing over a bunch of security yeah. issues. I'm. Not, I, I'm. Like I say, I'm struggling to think. I mean, so all of our integration is Hubbot connects to the Slack room, mm-hmm. and then distinct Hubbot commands. All they do is curl to Jenkins, so Jenkins takes care of the everything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I maybe I'm. I mean, I, it's one of those things where you know maybe I'm just not seeing it. But I don't yeah. think for us because because we've got fairly specific tasks that are fairly simple in their nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how what other what kind of integrations other people have. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like we, I'm trying to figure out how what sort of automation we're going to do. It's like we're going to start having like multiple developers pushing up different builds to different spaces so I don't know how much of that should be manual versus you know some command the developer actually runs in their development space to push code to a certain place uh, it certainly seems nice to be able to just tell Slack to do things tell you know a bot in Slack to do things or have someone else in the company be able to say hey I, I need Bose deploy push to this server and you know and see how that works um, so I think that some, some of that stuff could be cool but yeah you know it's it makes our life easier but it might also be opening up you know trouble spots that, that we aren't really considering yeah anyway I don't know I actually think there's more chance if they got access to our Slack channel of like so when we use Rollbar for exception tracking and uh, it does scrub data when it's getting sent around places mm-hmm. but there's probably more chance of some data not getting scrubbed properly because it, it can only know so much about your application kind yeah. of in terms of like you know if a yeah. password sneaks into an exception stack trace, then mm-hmm. Rollbar's not going to understand that or know about that. Yeah. Uh, there's more chances of something like that being revealed in our... We have a general room where like all the notifications from everything go. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it's so noisy, but I actually kind of like it all being in one consecutive big yeah. feed. Uh, so I'd be more concerned about sort of um, disclosing things yeah. than all that, that way than... Any actual operational mm-hmm. things. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's something that I haven't had to worry about yet. But as I can consider the future, I'm keeping that in mind that I should probably at least pay attention and be mindful of what I'm actually exposing 
to Slack or any anything really, any of the integration points. Because it'd be easy, like I'm gonna hook everything up to Trello, and you know what's what's that actually gonna do? I mean, sure, Trello might be pretty pretty benign example, but you know, if it starts, uh, so it like hooks up to GitHub now. Like if you pay for the the business class thing, you know, I mean, information can start leaking in places that you don't expect it to. Yeah, if you aren't really paying attention. It's so hard. It's just a minefield, isn't it? I mean. I think Funkatron was in the PHP mentoring room the other day talking about deployments with Ansible, and he was like, so where does Ansible get the root password from? <laughs> and it's such a rubbishy thing to do, because somewhere, at some point in your infrastructure, yeah, you've got to have a password or mm-hmm. some credential available, yeah, because something needs it, and yep. you can make hoops to jump through, but somewhere, somewhere it's gonna be stored. has got to be stored somewhere. And uh, So for us, we... We use a passwordless sudo on the actual boxes, so the instances. Mm-hmm. And we use SSH keys to get to them. And the only level of protection we have is that the... So Jenkins has the SSH keys installed. does have passwords on, passphrase on them. Mm-hmm. So if I reboot the Jenkins instance, Jenkins won't be able to do anything until I manually log into the shell as Jenkins fire up SSH agent and passphrase all the mm. relevant SSH keys it needs to do its job, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the passwords in passphrase, they're unlocked in memory, but locked mm. on disk. Uh, yeah. I know at a certain point I was playing with Puppet to do some things with like encrypting data in certain places. I can't remember um, what it's manifest thing. No, it's not the manifest. It's something that it actually runs... It had a special name for the archive of the data on the server. All of its artifacts or all of its right, okay. facts. It was facts. All of the facts. And there was a way to uh, G- G- uh, PGP encrypt stuff such that it was safe in the repository. So yeah. it was actually in the repository encrypted, but the private key to decrypt it lived on the actual each individual server somehow. And right, okay. I, I spent days trying to get that set up just so that I could store one password, you know, the MySQL password. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it's just, it's not worth it. I, I don't, it can't be that hard. seems like someone should have solved that by now, but I, I don't think anyone has. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, there are different ways, aren't there? And I think, it, I think what it boils down to is, I think that what, or I certainly forget anyways, the bigger thing is, okay, yes, someone or some machine somewhere is going to have to access this stuff. Mm. So logging who's accessed it is almost as important as stopping the Yeah. So if you have an audit trail of oh yeah, Jenkins asked Jenkins grabbed the decryption key at mm-hmm. so and so o'clock so it can run some job. Mm-hmm. And then I logged in to grab the decryption key to do you know, that's part of it as as well as the as well as locking it down, mm-hmm. making sure you've got an audit trail of where things go is important as well. So mm. uh, I'm not really looking forward to all the DevOps stuff that's ahead. And you, like, you're in a, the financial sector as well. Yeah. Oh, your, your class of applications is going to be finance-related, yeah. so you can have... We're going to have a lot of fun with the security and yeah. making sure everything is good. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a fun problem, but I know that it's also time-consuming. And when you're startup mode and trying to get things done quickly, that it's, it's difficult pain, to yeah. balance that sometimes. So, so right now we're keeping things simple. We're, we're using Envoyer and Forge. Even even though we're not doing Laravel necessarily anymore, we're still using Envoyer and Forge. So they, there's a certain amount of stuff that they're doing that 
are nice and sort of kind of push those decisions off. Like they actually have the .env file encrypted, so I have to enter in the the, the secret key to be able to edit the .env file that that the application is going to read. Yeah. Um, so I can do all of that and manage that. And there's one instance now, so it's really easy. Um, but as soon as we start having multiple instances, it's starting. It's going to start to become more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, uh, speaking of speaking of Envoyer, I ran out of space on our host recently, and I ran out of space because uh, the DigitalOcean droplet ran out of inodes. So your droplet or the yeah, so your yeah, droplet. Yeah, my my drop droplet ran out of inodes, and I thought at first my first assumption was that session um, files what's that session files no that my first assumption was that envoy wasn't deleting old deploys because it looked like there were far more than the nine i expected yeah and when i looked at it more closely it was just like spotty it looked like like one day none of the files or none of the deploys have been deleted and like that went over the course of like a month or two so it was only like 40 or so but what i found was since we have two node apps or two node projects in the repository each deploy uh, with node modules was adding seven uh, was consuming seven percent of the inodes, right? Because of node, the node modules directory had thousands upon thousands of files in it. Yeah, it's one, it's one of the things I'm not overly keen on that kind of deployment because it's the kind of deployment where it shifts the code up, yep, builds it on the server, mm -hmm. yep. So yep. you need all your build tools on the server, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing gets built. Yeah, and I thought it was going to be built on Envoyer, so I was I I. I think I misunderstood that. I thought it was built on Envoyer, and then Envoyer shipped it up to Forge, but that's not the case. No, no. my understanding was either way around. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and and npm itself is not very efficient. good. <laughs> it, it's not very good, and it's not very efficient. Like yeah. right now, each build takes a minute and a half per app. So because we have two apps, and we're eventually going to have more, um, each app, it, right now we're at three or four minutes just to build the Node project each time. Um, I tried npm shrink wrap. Have you heard of that? No. Nope. It, it's sort of like composer lock, so it creates this thing. So you, oh, yeah. but all it does is make sure you get the same version. It's still, like Nose actually compiles a bunch of these things that it downloads. Yeah. So the build process, like I did the shrink wrap thing, and it didn't really make any change at all. I thought, you know, composer lock can drastically improve your performance time with composer. It didn't do anything at all for Node or npm. Are you doing any npm? With, no. No, I mean I think it's something I'm gonna have to look at eventually. It's inevitable, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. I mean I'm using uh, Yuglify and uh, Uglify JS to what is it? Minify and mm -hmm. obfuscate yeah. the JavaScripts and the CSS. But uh, other than that, I don't use anything mm -hmm. else. But I, I mean we we oh you didn't get to the React talk today. I mean no. I finally saw a talk on React JS yes, and it's like maybe. I, it's the the one JavaScripty thing that sort of caught my attention recently, as it seems to have gathered quite a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. It appeals to me because it is something I could use in our project, and I think maybe if I was going to try doing something like that, then maybe I should start looking at a proper JavaScript build tool rather than my make files yeah. bash. Yeah, it's it's a monster. What's the word? A minefield. Yes. <laughs> npm npm and just the whole JavaScript framework. Or the whole JavaScript ecosystem appears to just be a minefield. Like versions get deprecated so quickly, things are so incompatible. And npm is so awesome at the fact that it can bring incompatible libraries in yeah. if it wants to. 
They've yeah. facilitated it basically, yeah. haven't they? They've facilitated yeah. poor versioning. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I I don't know. It's um I I've done as much as I can to sort of go your make file way, um, except I did it with npm. So I did npm as the build process. So I have like a dozen npm commands that do all of the things. Um, and I, I, I used gulp for a little while, and that just oh, that was just like very deep rabbit holes with with any of these things, trying to get everything to work together. And even once I got to the point where I had my dependencies and they all worked, they still you know weren't quite compatible with each other. It's, I don't know. If you can hold off, <laughs> I would say do so. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've actually been enjoying React now that I kind of understand it better. Um, so I, I wish I'd been able to see Justin's talk on, on React today, but it was standing room only, so it must, a bunch of people must have been interested in it. Yeah, it was a good talk. I mean, I enjoyed it because it was on something I really wanted to see. And mm-hmm. uh, Justin's got a lot of enthusiasm, and he's a yeah. he's a loud guy, and he was yeah, like, he got the room going a bit. Um, he did some live coding, which could have gone a little bit better. It was a bit like he had a couple of typos, and it was like one of those where people were shouting, there's a typo on certain... It's like, where? <laughs> yeah. like, going back through a few tabs in uh, his editor and stuff. But Nice. Uh, it was good, and it looked good. I mean, I, one of the things I was most impressed with was the, the React uh, the dev tools for Chrome. Uh, mm. mm-hmm. They just basically showed the entire tree uh, of the state and the, the components, and I thought that looked really cool. Yeah. It's nice to see some first-class tooling for things like that, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's something I might look at. We'll see. Yeah. Got too many other things going on at the minute. Yeah, I so I, th- I th- probably spent four weeks, like probably half time, just trying to get to the point where I could get a page to render. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that's very cute. Luke's, Luke's, Luke's up very late, and he's being a very good boy, and he just showed me this little little talking man that we do sometimes. On his fingers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, it took me four weeks to get to the point that I could get um, a combination of React plus React Router plus some f- implementation of Flux talking to each other to the point that I could make a JSON request. So it wasn't just rendering a page, yeah. but it was actually getting that all to work. And it was just incredibly frustrating. Yeah. So, so if you'd been to Justin's talk today, he would have recommended you start with something small. Yep, yep. You know, build one component mm-hmm. in React rather than building the full single yep. page app that you're doing yes yes yeah. and, and and i've I've heard that before but <laughs> it's not your style is it's it? not my style <laughs> no but you know it, 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 i could have started small on a project to do that but i didn't have a project that i needed to do that on so anytime i've brought on like a new technology stack like if i've had something to tinker with like i wanted to sculpin was because i wanted to do a command line php app right um i didn't have anything pressing that I needed to build something with React on, and I didn't really want to set us on the path of, you know, Laravel, like building something with Blade that was really going to be thrown away in six months once I finally got around to learning React. No, I understand that. Yes. You know, and I tried, I had actually had another project that I was doing, and I tried Ember, and Ember was the same thing. It was really difficult to get these things to work, so I don't, I, I think I told you offline that I was sort of feeling bad about myself sort of because I felt like someone else is just going to come pick this up and they can do it right away but those are people who have been using JavaScript for a year or two and I should probably not be so hard on myself Um, and I actually saw some people tweeting about that recently that people look at their skills and compare them to others um, and you just don't if you don't know the build tools you don't know the environment 
it, it does take a while to get up and running. And it's easy to think, well, I'm really good at PHP, so I should be able to pick up another language really well. Like, I, I, it's just syntax, right? It's a different thing, but it's the not eco- always The that ecosystem's way. a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I was saying to you earlier, uh, I don't really feel like any emotional attachment to PHP. I mean, you know, I enjoy the community in PHP. Mm. I don't feel any emotional attachment to the language at all. But I do know the ecosystem really well. Yeah. And it'd be a pain to move. I mean, occasionally when I do things, I mean, I'll hack on anything in those languages. JavaScript I'm mostly capable with, but when I move on to Ruby and Python, I mean, I know the tools. I know, I'd, well, Bundler, I know kind of well enough. Uh, I know Virtual Env and Pip well enough, mm-hmm. but I don't, like, I know well enough to use them, but then if someone asks me, you know, what are you going to use for XML processing in Python? And I'll think, oh, God, elementary. And I'll be like, ugh. But there's probably like a dozen <laughs> other libraries since then yeah. that are far easier to use. And I just don't know, you know, I, that I don't know of. Uh, yeah. Python's module system always confused me. Oh, yeah, that confused me. I don't know why, because it's so simple. It only does a couple of things a little different than PHP, but every time I did it, I felt like I had to like import like three different ways before I got it right every time, and every time it seemed a little different. Yeah. Um, I don't know. PHP namespace is sort of got a weird. I don't know. I felt kind of weird about them when I first saw them because I was like, expecting Java packages or Java. Yeah. Um, um, but they 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 they're pretty easy. They make mostly sense. I think. I do. Yeah. Yeah. But Python, like like every time I go to Python, I've probably had to dip into Python maybe four times, and every time, I just, I don't know, I just I just can't do it. It's yeah. so it, painful. It would come quickly if you spent more time in it, but yeah, you know, when you don't have the need to, or you're not mm-hmm. forced to, then you just don't do it. So. Yeah, yeah. So so no emotional attachment to PHP. I don't think so. No, I, I, I But 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 you don't have to feel a draw to something else. No, I mean, I think it was Andrew's talk, and like, it was, I think like it was like people are thanking. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful that people like that work on the core, but I'm not like terribly excited about it. And you know that we've got the scale of type hints, and yes, I will use them when I get round to upgrading to PHP seven, whenever that is. But I'm not excited about it. Do you know what I mean? It'll yeah. just be another tool that's available to me, and I will use. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's a little bit like the people who still like... Well, this is going to sound way worse than I, I mean it to, but like the people who are still perfectly fine with PHP 4. Like, they don't, like their code works, and they, they're really good at working within it. Yeah, they, they don't see the need to do namespaces. You know, there's a lot of packages out there right now that don't have namespaces. And I look at those packages, and I'm like, where have you been? Like, like seriously, like, why, why, do you, why are you doing underscore separators and, like... Uh, or even just like uh, they, they haven't bought into like any of the auto-loading standards and they're like including files from place to place all over the place. I'm like, why? Like this is like 2015, but these are popular packages that people are using and they're happy and the person who wrote it originally is still happy with it so they don't see a need to upgrade it to yeah. the newest thing. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, have you heard of RethinkDB? I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah, I I was asked to do a project in RethinkDB, and I started and kind of looked at it. it looked kind of interesting. Pulled down the PHP package. It was exactly like this. What we're talking about. It was all uh, individual files. The 
like the the file naming scheme for the classes was different than what you would expect from PSR zero. Mm. Like e- even the file naming scheme was different than the fact that they weren't namespaced, and it, they were namespaced. <laughs> it, that seems peculiar to me because RethinkDB is a fairly new technology now. Mm-hmm. Now, when you see something like the PayPal standard development kit or whatever, I don't even know if they have one, but right. but something like PayPal, they've got years and years of legacy code to support, and they also want every single PHP developer under the sun to use their stuff. Yep, exactly. Including people who are working on PHP 4 code mm-hmm. bases. You know, so I kind of see why they do it that way. Right. You know, whereas something like RethinkDB, I can't imagine there's anyone going to be, you know, Rolling rethink DB into a PHP four code base or yep. project, so yeah. I, I don't see the, the need for that really. Yeah, it was it was bizarre, and I think that the the biggest reason that that the the author gave or the people who were in the rethink DB community gave when they were questioned about this was that it was to mimic the JavaScript API. Right. So this it the they didn't want to write docs for the PHP implementation, so they made it look as close to the JavaScript <laughs> implementation as possible, <laughs> down to the case of the things very nice um, so that they didn't have to do the docs and didn't have to maintain the docs um, which to me just seems ridiculous because it's not going to work the same way in PHP as it does in JavaScript so um, so yeah I mean there are packages like that where people I don't know if this person had that implemented it was just told we need a PHP implementation of this so that people will use it and so they, they set out to make it or if they intended to do it that way because they wanted to use it I don't know but yes, I've I've probably run into maybe three or four packages in the last year that are like that, that people are using. People are happy to keep them the way they were. So, yeah, yeah. So, have we got anything else on your list we should cover? Um, I don't know how long have we been doing this. Are we f- fifty minutes? Fifty minutes. Well, we shouldn't lot. go longer than an hour. We shouldn't go longer than an hour. Is everyone okay with that? <laughs> yeah. Does anyone want to? Does anyone want to say anything? Does anyone want to ask Bo any questions? <laughs> I, I'm not answering the questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I answered all my questions. Well, um, I should mention we've got a couple more people. Kieran's here. I don't mm-hmm. know your name, sir. Matt Bradley. Matt Bradley. No, I know of you. Um, and these two chaps, it's Jonathan and I'm going to say Chris. Uh, where have I got Chris from? Ashley. Yeah. Now, one there, was week, Chris, we, there was a Chris Moss, Christopher Moss that we saw. Was that oh, we saw Chris earlier. Yep, yep. sorry. Yep. So who got your ticket? Um actually got the ticket. Cool. So we, we gave away a ticket uh, to uh, we, we, we'd sent out a tweet saying hey we're giving out a ticket to uh, PHP Northwest and Jonathan actually wrote and said hey there's two of us and it's Jonathan right? <laughs> awesome. Uh, he, he wrote and said there's two of us on the team we want to go but we, you only have one ticket so we need to find another. So um, we, I think I think we you, you had a couple of days to find another one and then you kind of Gave up because you're like, yeah, no, there, no one else is going to go. Uh, but at the last minute, Scoop jumped in and said he had another ticket. So, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So you were able to coordinate that. And, yeah, so now you're able to be here. And thank you for joining us. I didn't actually see that you walked in. So uh, would you like to say hi? No? Yes. <laughs> no. All right. Cool. That's all right. Um, so yeah, so um, that was part of the deal was we wanted to make sure whoever got the ticket uh, could come talk with us and hang out with us and be here for the podcast. So thank you for joining us. I'm glad you made it. And yeah, was there? No, I can't think of anything else. All right, I do have one more little tiny thing. Do it. Docker, right? Yeah. We're not going to talk about 
Docker. It's the future. Yeah, it's the future. Oh, it's um, not the future. I mean, we could talk about Docker for another hour. We're not oh, it really is the future, isn't it? <laughs> it really is the future. It, was, it is the future, and it really is the yeah. future, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I actually I actually went back and read, it really is the future. So oh, did you? That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But the funny thing was, after we had that talk, I was looking at get event store. And so now we're talking about event store again. Um, and I realized that it would be really great to try that. I ended up just running it on my Mac because it's not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. Uh, but I thought to myself, maybe someone has a Git event store Docker image, and I could just try it that way. And so I went and Googled it, and the very first entry was from our friend ASM89, Alexander. Oh, Alexander yeah. <laughs> so Alexander from Broadway had actually uh, created a Docker image for a Git event store. So I could have done. I could have used that, and it could have just asked someone in my community, and they could have said, "Oh yeah, I did that the so, whole time." Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. So that was the only other thing on my list. So it wasn't really a project, but it was something out there that that was kind of like a small world sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. Let me just check. Uh oh. Awesome. Yeah. So we were afraid we just lost half the episode. <laughs> um, Fortunately, we haven't. So. I've, I've, my Docker experience has changed slightly again. So I, I, I was in that place where I had Docker Compose set up fantastically to essentially bootstrap like two projects along with all the supporting services they need to run full integration tests of everything pretty much end to end. And it was working great for me. And then the, the first uh, dev who came to work with me, I thought this is going to be fantastic. Like, you know, three commands would be up and running, and it just did not work at all. <laughs> so between me setting things up, um, Docker Machine got released. Uh, so Docker Machine is something that's sort of akin to boot to Docker. It's going to be firing up a VM on Windows and on Mac for people to run as a Docker host. And I use something called Dinghy, uh, which takes care of that VM for you as well uh, but obviously I was on a version that wasn't using Docker Machine, he was on a version that was using Docker Machine mm. and it, just, it was just awkward mm. and I was like, I was quite demoralised about it but it's still running great for me, occasionally I have to sort of like kill everything and start up again uh, mm -hmm. but it, that takes seconds uh, so it's kind of nice Yeah, so I have to say that when, when you talk about Docker, all the bad things just go, Psh, like I don't, I don't hear them. All I hear is how awesome it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I hear how awesome it is. So I'm jealous of that, and I'm jealous of your uh, EC2 AWS auto scaling thing. Like I just want that. Can you set that up for me? I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah, it would be awesome because I, I, yeah, I don't know. When I look at those things, I get excited about them, and then I just start realizing this is going to be a month of my time. <laughs> getting these things right and then they won't necessarily be right because something will happen like with your contractor yeah. coming on so well, um, I mean, what pushed it was um, I realised and I didn't realise for some time that I had our Jenkins box was running I have two builds of the same project one runs with all the metrics and code coverage and stuff that makes our test suite ridiculously slow mm -hmm. so I have run I have that Jenkins build doing metrics and then that, because it's not slow sorry mm -hmm. the normal without the code coverage and that uh, the build's quite quick so mm -hmm. for the deployment pipeline i use a quick build but occasionally every now and then i was getting the, the uh, non-deterministic uh, test failures mm -hmm. and i realized that it was using the same redis instance uh, so okay. if the two builds started happening at the same time i mean i could have done it with jenkins build mm -hmm. machines or whatever you know a, yeah. it sends a build somewhere else uh but I fixed up basically the Docker compose, so now those two builds literally fire up all the services they need with Docker. Mm -hmm. So they get their own Redis, their own MySQL, cool. uh, 
their own two or three other things that I, they use. Yeah. Even like Phantom JS runs in Docker for mm. the test to connect to. And nice. Yeah, you, you showed me one of your configs, and it just looked beautiful. Yeah, well, it's neat. Uh, yeah, uh, there's still a few things that could do with changing, but uh, right. it's cool. And like things like using the, there's an nginx proxy Docker image that's really nice that um, inspects running Docker containers, and if they have an mvar called virtual host, it'll set up a proxy hmm. from the nginx instance to that Docker container on okay. the first port it finds open. Mm-hmm. So if you set up a Docker container to run, well, say the PHP built-in web server, and just give it an mvar, a virtual host, mm-hmm. dave.docker, yeah. then the Nginx proxy would just pick that up mm. and automatically set up a virtual host for you to forward proxy through to, uh, which is kind of nice. So, You know what's really the future? Auto. Sorry? Auto. Did I've you not, look at that? I've not. I, I looked and I thought, that sounds too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to fire up everything. It's going to figure out exactly what kind of app and just, it works. I, I don't get me wrong. If it works well, it'd be <laughs> fantastic. But yeah. It's going to burn. Yeah. But yeah. that's what it is, isn't it? It's like, uh, uh, I, I, it's like paperclip. I see you've got a PHP yep. application. <laughs> Would you like me to install PHP? But uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I must have to do composer install. I must have yeah. to do this and this and this. And oh, you looks like you have a package JSON. I'm going to run it. I mean, I, I don't know. It it really does sound too good to be true. Yeah. But well, well, we'll see, won't we? Um, so, I, I, the, so, who's the person that does SitePoint? Is it Bruno? Bruno. I can't remember Don't how to pronounce his last name. Yeah. I often see him being pretty critical about things, uh, which I think is probably part of what he's supposed to do. Uh, but I think he's the only person I've seen who actually looks like he's tried it, and it looks like it has a lot of rough edges. He, I think sure. I think his quote was something like, it was released way too soon. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know what the... I don't know why it was released when it was. Uh, it must work reasonably well. Um, but there was something that, something on the marketing that just felt weird to me, and it said it was the successor to Vagrant, but it uses Vagrant, right? I don't know. I, I, I thought behind, like I thought that was one of the things it used. So uh, I don't know if that that messaging was more for don't use Vagrant raw anymore, but use this instead. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that was, but at first I was confused because I thought this was something that basically replaced Vagrant. Mm-hmm. Just just by the marketing on the website, it looked like there's, you know don't use Vagrant anymore, or yeah. this is an, another thing to use instead of Vagrant, as opposed to this uses Vagrant. I don't know. I haven't looked at it too closely, but I, I know it just came out recently, so I figure it's worth talking about. Yeah. Even though we haven't done anything with it, it's, we can have opinions on things, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that well. we haven't done anything with. Maybe we'll get around to using it at some point. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So if no one has anything else, nothing? Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us. This is this has been a, a new experience for us. We, we had a, one person with us at Symphony Live. Uh, yeah. And it was, he ended up you know, actually communicating with us. Benjamin popped in and popped out as soon as uh, he realized that we might hand him the mic <laughs> yeah I, I, I know he had a talk next but it, it was pretty quickly after he sat down he got up and left so yeah. but he was going up to get on stage and talk yeah yeah know, no no he had, a, he, he, had, he had a good excuse but no, it was but nice i mean, I, mean I, I can't imagine being frightened of talking on the mic with us in this little room when he's gonna go up and get yeah. get up on stage and talk in front of dozens of people yeah so I, don't, I don't know 
Anyway, one thing. One thing I would. I was just gonna say is uh, we could do more reviews on iTunes. Um, so, if anyone hasn't already given us a five star review on iTunes, mm. please mm-hmm. feel free. If you're gonna, I would uh, currently I'm, we're accepting four star reviews as well because we're that desperate. <laughs> Three yeah. star reviews. Email to us. Yes. Uh, hello at that podcast.io. Uh, one and two star reviews can go to. Devnull at yeah. that podcast.io. Yeah. Um, you could just not listen. I yeah. mean, really. Like, we, I know, we appreciate yeah. all our listeners, but if you really feel like we deserve one star, then, you know, there's like Dev Hell. There are and, dozens of other yeah, podcasts. Yeah, there's like three uh, devs and a maybe. You know, there's a lot of options out there. At least oh, a couple. I was supposed to be on three devs and a maybe last week. Oh, you were? It was like, it came up on, you know, when you put something in your calendar and the default notification is 10 minutes before or something? <laughs> yeah. Like, I got the no- I was like, huh. Oh. <laughs> they haven't been in touch. Oh well. <laughs> so I carried on with what I was doing. <laughs> nice. And did you ever follow up with them? No, I didn't, to be honest. <laughs> I should speak to Ed. So I'll, I'll speak to him. Nice. Cool. So, um, so um, Beck had this awesome idea to have uh, Luke close us out tonight. Yeah. And what do you think of that? Does he know what to say? Have you, have you, have you told him what to say? Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that comes through. Okay, I think it will. Yeah, that's a good little Darth Vader. Hopefully, it didn't. <laughs> hopefully, it didn't clip quite a bit. <laughs> I think, I think, I think he's trying to sing the, the Imperial March here, but it might be too quiet. He's got a really soft voice. Yeah. All right. <laughs> still going. Okay. Anyway, all right. So, I guess we'll call this one a wrap. You've been listening to that podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox like the music you can thank gorillo for allowing us to sample the track dust kingdom for our intro and outro you can find dust kingdom and other tracks by gorillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled g-r-i-l-l-o